Hello and welcome to Movie Maker. I am Eric Stoyer and today on the show we've got Andre Gower. He's behind the documentary Wolfman's Got Nards and uh, that's a tough title to say uh, without laughing or at least at least smiling. And uh, Wolfman's Got Nards is a documentary about another movie. It's about the movie, the 1980s movie, The Monster Squad, which if you are not familiar with it, uh, came out in 1987, I believe, and it was a uh, action ho- light horror comedy that was geared towards, let's say, kind of young teenagers, sort of in that Goonies genre. Uh, the Monster Squad was not a hit when it came out, and also not loved by critics. It was, it was uh, not a hit. But over the years, it has is built up uh, a really, really substantial fan base. Uh, and if you are listening to this, you may be a part of that fan base. Uh, Audrey Gower himself was one of the stars of Monster Squad. He was a child actor in the 80s and then got this role as one of the main uh, stars of uh, the Monster Squad. And so him making this documentary about, about, that, uh, about that experience and about how the movie has developed into a cult classic over the years. And um, the movie's also, the documentary's also about fan communities generally and how people feel an instant connection to each other once they... Uh, you know, become a part of these communities and find that they have these mutual interests. So I really enjoyed the movie. It is available on demand, and I recommend that you go uh, find it and watch it. And if you got anything uh, to say to us here at the podcast, hit me up at eric at moviemaker.com. We're always interested in hearing what you think and hearing who you think we should be talking to on the show. And uh, without any further ado, here's Andre Gower. You have some uh, some 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 real fans out there, so I wanted to see first how people are responding to the film. I, I think it's going very well. I think that, you know the individual responses and the group responses and the media response has all been fairly positive. I mean, majority of it's been very very good, um, and that's and that's nice to hear. Um, you know, obviously some of the things like from straight fan response, which I'm pretty active with the fan base, you know, they, they connect with me or I connect with them on social media or, you know, during, you know, chats or podcasts or live interviews, things like that have all been awesome. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, just in the bubble or, you know, in the barrel, uh, you know, so what we're trying to do is get that word out a little bit wider. So people that may not be, you know, those individuals or groups that are in the bubble, uh, you know, to kind of experience this because the documentary is, yes, uh, it's kind of Monster Squad centric, but it's the, the, the core theme of it is really about how something like a film or cinema can connect with people and impact their lives. And what are your stories of those experiences, you know, kind of told through the lens of the Monster Squad fan experience. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I was going to ask about, because uh, the film in a lot of ways seems like a celebration of people's love for things that influence them, especially when they were younger and that they have this community around and that sort of stuff. So it is specifically about the Monster Squad, but you could sub in anything that these fan communities have, have, have emerged around and it, and it could have been about them. So so where, where did you start when you decided that, that this should be a story that you wanted to tell through a documentary? You know, it's that's an interesting kind of almost... 10 year story, maybe, or, you know, eight, nine year kind of buildup of not realizing that's what it was. Uh, You know, it was, um, you know, none of this would happen if we didn't have sort of the resurgence starting in 2006, 2007, which kind of reignited and kind of rebirthed the movie. And the fandom came together and just, you know, held it up and ran down the, you know, ran down the street with it and cheered it. And it just grew and grew. And, 
you know, we honestly thought that would kind of die off after a little bit and we were very wrong. And not only did it not die off or even level off, it got stronger and that kind of core base got deeper. And then now we're so long, you know, past that, that, you know, there's even a second generation of Monster Squad fans because the original showing their kids or younger people are finding it on their own or through kind of referrals. But really the kind of spark of kind of the concept was this face-to-face interaction with these fans going to screenings or appearances or conventions and hearing these personal stories of what this movie meant to these people. And at the beginning, we thought, oh, this is interesting. This is very neat. And um, this is cool. And uh, there's only a handful of these people that are really dedicated like this. And boy, some of these people that really impacted them. What you find out is that it's not a small group. It's a very large group. And it's, a you know, now they're connected. But these stories didn't stop. And they got deeper and more personal. And I realized that there was something unique about these stories. Uh, look, we, we, we know a lot of movies and things have great fans, you know, bands and, and artists and things have amazing fan bases. And that's the only reason we get to do what we do is because they're the ones out there. But I realized that these stories were a story. After, you know, going through a number of years of this not slowing down and just getting deeper and more personal and just constantly hearing these amazing tales, I thought their stories were a story. And then I decided to kind of, the original concept was much different than what we have with Wolfman's Got Nards. And I thought it was just going to, you know, come into the 30th anniversary year. Let's grab a camera and a couple of our kind of friends and, you know, shoot some, you know, shoot some video and shoot some audio and sit two or three people down that we know and just talk about it and kind of put it out there on, you know, like, you know, we, uh, Ryan Lambert and I had a podcast at the time or something, and maybe we just put it on that site or something. And then, What's great about that is I experimented with that a little bit and it just wasn't servicing what I thought, you know, it could or should be. And it kind of went on the the side burner for a minute because I was dealing with some other projects at the time. And then I got very lucky with a very serendipitous lunch, uh, you know, scheduled one day uh, with my friend who had worked at Pilgrim Media Group for years and we were lifelong friends and we were out in front of the building just to go you know, grab a salad or something. And uh, we ended up running into Henry McComas, Wes Caldwell, and Aaron Kunkel, who ended up being, you know, kind of the core production team. And we met, talked about projects, what we were doing. And all three of these guys were Monster Squad fans. And we started talking about what a documentary could be. And Henry being kind of the lead, you know, kind of the lead producer in this production team was like, I think there's a way to look at this and crack it with what kind of you're talking about. And I'd really like to work with you and let's, let's see if we can make this happen and take it to the executives and do some sort of deal. And boy, very quickly, that's exactly what happened. And we went right into production and things just really kind of fell into place for that next 10 or 11 months, which is really all it was. And most of the stuff that you see in the documentary, some of it wasn't even planned where we knew was on the schedule, but everything just sort of, you know, it was almost like, you know, you, you put, you know, you throw coins in a fountain and they all land in the exact, in, in the exact right spot, or uh, you keep playing Plinko and it just keeps hitting the middle you know, thousand or something. And, you know, the, the work that these guys put on it and the, and, and the passion and the vision that they had, you know, to combine with, you know, what I was kind of seeing and I knew was out there and what we could put together. Uh, I, I, I think we, we, we came pretty close to hitting the target. You've, um, 
you definitely had this experience for a long time, so you may be very used to this. But what, what's it like to have so many people out there who have a very intense relationship with a version of you that was a kid, you know? Yes. Uh, and not just on the monster squad angle, you know, there's some intense, you know, co- you know, connection with you as, as a young human being uh, that, you know, people that's their, you know, kind of drilled in burned in, you know, kind of image of you. Um, I, I think you, you have two duties there almost if you actually interact or meet these people is one is to show them another version of you that they can connect with. Uh, Cause it would just be weird to leave the 13 year old there. Uh, but then also uh, realize that that is actually very important to them, uh, you know, that initial thing. And I see a lot of people, I'm not, you know, not naming any name, just kind of in general, when you're in kind of the convention scene or, you know, a parent scene, uh, and they kind of, um, they kind of make the prophecy come true, like don't meet your heroes, you know, and I've never understood why not. I mean, usually you'll get disappointed. So that's been a very big, you know, kind of upfront thing, you know, with me, I just try to interact with people and, 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 and connect and honor what they appreciate and appreciate what they honor on your end. And yeah, it's, it could be a little weird, a little unnerving if someone's really into something that you did or, or, you know, it's like, it's, they really focused on it, but you can't take that away from them. And, and, and you should add that into your whole fabric of experience anyway, because it is who you are. And if you're trying to avoid that, great. Uh, if you're not, you've got to, you know, kind of appreciate it, respect it and, and utilize it, uh, you know, to make that, you know, interaction with them as, as, as cool as possible. There's something fun and, and, and maybe even special about going to see a screening of, of Ghostbusters or whatever, you know, something that really like just took the entire world by storm, no matter what your age was, et cetera, you know, 20 million people know and love that movie. But I, you know, this is my experience. And I know that a lot of people in the, in the, in your documentary would, would probably agree with a movie like the monster squad. There's this whole other nerve that gets hit when you're a part of some, you know, a select group who have this knowledge and, and, and love for, for something. There's a, there's some talk in your documentary and, and some debate even around what the idea of a, of a cult, uh, a cult movie is. And would you say that some variation on that is actually what, what makes a film um, a cult classic in these times? I, th- I definitely think it is. And, you know, kind of like we, you know, worked through just a bit in the documentary that there's different definitions of not only what cult is, but then what people think a cult classic is. And, you know, they always still ask, is Monster Squad a, a cult film? Or they ask, is it a cult classic? And those are two different questions. <laughs> you know, I've really discovered those are actually two different questions. And I don't think it was a cult movie at the time because a lot of people saw it and didn't know it, 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 it bombed at the box office, didn't know it was this giant thing. They just saw this cool movie that blew their minds that they really connected with and ran around their neighborhood and shared their VHH tape or you know built a treehouse in their backyard thinking this was something awesome for them. And it wasn't really a niche thing or a fringe thing at the time. So it wasn't cult at the time, but it certainly found a path to cult classic dumb and so I don't think it was a cult film, but I think it's definitely a cult classic, but also mixed with now that I've understood and seen a little bit more of this impact, not only in the fan wise, but on the industry side of this, that Monster Squad was kind of a game changer and a paradigm shifter, along with you know, a handful of other movies at the time that, that literally, like I said, changed the game elevated different things. And that's why you have, you know, the next evolution of uh, either creature effects or special effects or what type of stories we're getting into. And I think that makes the movie, 
a classic, like a regular classic. It may be a genre classic, you know, if you got to, you've got to box it in, but it definitely has that attribute as well because it changed the game uh, on movie making and storytelling and special effects and and things that you that weren't done or can do or now you do today. I, when you change those paradigms, I think you're a classic um, in in whatever genre you are. And so I think it kind of mixes into both there. I think it has some cult classic elements in there, and then I think it's definitely just a genre classic as well. Uh, and and deservedly so. I think there's some really cool stuff in there that has nothing to do with myself or the rest of the cast. Uh, that's what the fans connect with. But there's a lot deeper things to discuss. You know, when you're going down that road. Speaking of the the movie making aspect of I me, mean, some of the some of the most you know interesting stuff in the in your documentary is with Fred Decker because he's got a different relationship with the with the movie with with the Monster Squad. He uh, he he directed it. He, he's sort of like the creator you know behind it, and then he and he feels like you know it didn't land the way he wanted to, and it, and maybe even still sort of seems to resist the way that it's being experienced by people right now. And I uh, um, maybe you would agree with that. Maybe maybe you have something uh, you know different to offer there. But I, but I do just wonder what 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 was that conversation like? Is he someone that you're that you've been in touch with in these past years a lot to go out there and present the film to people? I think I saw some scenes where he's you know in some of those earlier screenings. Or is he he's someone who's maybe a little bit you know, removed from all this and that uh, you had to bring in for the documentary? Yeah, I don't think he's removed. I think he's just not as um, uh, uh, rooted, uh, you know, kind of in the in the in the in the experience going over the last decade or, or so. Uh, but he, he's been there, you know, we've been in touch, you know, off and on ever since the movie, really, but, you know, definitely since 2006, when we had that first, you know, kind of reunion screening, which launched everything and kind of did the re- resurgence birthing. Um, but yeah, you know, speaking of Fred as an individual with his connection to the film, he's the only one that has this specific relationship with the movie. And he's, and it's not that he's an outlier, it's he's the only one that can have this relationship with it. And I, I totally understand, you know, his kind of, uh, you know, sometimes he's ambivalent towards it. Sometimes he's reticent to do, you know, to actually dive in and, and, and kind of talk about it. Uh, Cause I think it's taken a number of years to realize, you know, what it's become and to reconcile that, you know, to kind of use his words. Um, and you have to totally understand and appreciate that knowing that, and personally, what I think, and knowing that at the time when the movie came out, this is, you know, could be a career maker or, you know, help be a career breaker. And Fred ran into a couple things that are totally unfair, which, you know, back in 1987, a box office, your 48, 72 hours on opening weekend determine whether your movie's a success or not. And success does not mean good or bad. It just means a success. And if it's going to get another weekend and then another weekend after that. And a lot of a lot of places, this did not for a number of reasons. Not because the movie was bad. Uh, you know, there's some uh, specific reasons. Maybe it's the marketing campaign or the multiple marketing campaigns that were kind of contradictory to each other. Uh, it didn't really find a home. Uh, the reviews weren't that great. Um, you know, and it, 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 it this is a word of mouth movie. This is a kid in the school ground in the neighborhood, you know, in the backyards type of word of mouth thing that if they had allowed that or the studio had backed it just a little bit long, I think it would have been a different outcome. I really do. Uh, just because of the stories of the kids that did see it in the theater of what they went out and start screaming around their neighborhood and then it was gone in a week or two and then no one else could see it until it came on HBO and VHS and then it started again. And so that just proves to me that that's what it needed in the box office. But back to Fred, I think that's a totally unfair barometer of success, but that was the only one back then. 
Today, we have a little bit different as filmmakers and or, you know, studios or productions or creatives. There's different outlets in different ways. We have social media that could be a word of mouth. Your signal gets boosted so much wider. Uh, and you can also make things to a niche your audience now. And that's what, you know, was, you know, kind of hurting Monster Squad when it came out, even the timing when it came out and the rating that it ended up getting. Um, and those are all conversations we can have today. But obviously, Fred's trajectory and path would have been completely different if this movie was a success in 87 and no one talked about it today. They would have said, oh, and by the way, you know, Fred Decker, who, you know, co-write, you know, who writing and directing whatever this big studio movie is in 2010, you know, you know, remember back in the day when he made this little monster movie in 87 that no one talks about anymore. I think that, you know, I think we all would have traded that for the success of the people that deserve the success, but that didn't happen. And so, but when this kind of new, you know, it's not even a pseudo success, it's an absolute valid success nowadays of this movie's bigger than it ever would have been back then, I think, uh, it just goes to show that that was an unfair barometer at the time. And when that happens and you go direct to director jail, um, not only is it unfair to people like Fred, uh, Shane ended up having a different path and being, you know, on a different trajectory. Uh, but for someone like Fred, not only is it unfair to him, but I always say it's unfair to us as a movie viewing audience that we don't get to see what else is in their head or in, you know, in their heart to bring out and, and share with everybody a stories. And that's what I lament over the last, you know, 20 something, 30 years uh, is that aspect. Um, but as a filmmaker of a documentary that's diving into that unique kind of relationship, um, it wouldn't have been as impactful you know, today, if I, if Fred didn't have that relationship and he was willing to sit down and, and open up and, and, and kind of tell his story, um, you know, there's a version that, that might not have happened. And Fred was one of the last interviews we got and ended up being probably the glue that, that kind of sticks it all together as we're trying to weave through this story, you know, which is kind of, it's, it's up and down. It's got some emotions. It's, it's got a, you know, setups and payoffs and beginnings and ends and different kind of categories. Uh, but Fred is sort of that through line throughout the thing, um, which is almost a counterbalance to all the fan excitement that's going on. And I think that's a crucial element in this documentary that really gives it what we were trying to aim for. Because if it was just fan service and all this fan kind of, you know, ex, you know, exuberance and celebration and just a tongue bath of, you know, monster squadness, uh, it would have been a, a little more, a little less deep. And that Fred interview really kind of grounds the whole thing and shows the other other side of, you know, the story of this movie. Everyone that I've mentioned this documentary to, that's I'm, I'm about your age, and uh, most of my friends are about the same age as both of us. So they, they, I'd say, to the one, I remember watching that movie ten times on HBO. So you talk a little bit about this in the movie, but how much did cable TV sort of propel this movie into people's uh, consciousness in this way that makes them you know, look back on it so fondly. I think along with the dynamic of the local video store, uh, HBO was by far one of the leading factors that got this movie into the households and the cul-de-sacs and the backyards and the school grounds in 87, 80 or 88, you know, when it came out on, on HBO and, and into the next year. And what that proves is that kind of the original model of what HBO was is this kind of innovative, you know, content, um, you know, purveyor disruptor 
of kind of the status quo of, you know, how movies or, or things got seen at the time r- really has an impact. Um, it's interesting. And, in, you know, in, in the deeper conversation with our HBO executive at the time, you know, to find out that HBO was actually kind of wrong at what they thought they were going to be, but they ended up becoming big, you know, bigger than they thought and, and having different angles of, uh, you know, access to people and, and households. But by far, I mean, it is, um, you know, less people saw it in the movie theater in the summer of 87 because it wasn't out so long. By far, many more people saw it on HBO because it was on HBO, I think, before even it came out on, you know, hard, you know, you know, clamshell, you know, video rentals at your local video store in your town. And that was just a catalyst, you know, for the interest and the fact at the time that you could, you know, record your HBO offerings and then pass it around or keep it in in your attic or on your shelf and watch it again and again and again. Uh, that's where this movie cemented into, in, into these kids, you know, kind of essential being. And I've signed just as many autographs on blank VHS tapes with a piece of masking tape on it that says Monster Squad than I have like actual video store, you know, release VHS tapes, which everybody either stole or the video store managers ended up giving the kid the damn tape because they rented it so much uh, or they stole it and their mom's credit card got hit for the licensing fee. And uh, I, I love seeing both of those because it just shows what an impact HBO has on, on films at the time and even, and into, you know, bigger programming today, look what they've grown into. But I mean, absolutely. It's, it's, it's one of the trident that kind of, pierced everybody's existence with the uh, monster squad who's your favorite person to to meet and talk to for the documentary i think one of the uh obviously one of the things when you make a documentary and you're actually out and about on the road you don't know what you're going to run into you have a list of things you want and a list of maybe names and faces that you want and you don't always get all those uh, but then sometimes you get ones that you didn't know you were going to get or weren't expecting. And those are two different paths, like the ones on the road that you just meet fans and you get these amazing stories, which is what the doc's chock full of. Uh, you know, probably the one that's most impactful is our friend Sean Decker, uh, you know, who has the story about growing up in in small town Virginia and seeing this movie. And he had, you know, went through a personal health crisis and his world changed. And this movie helped him through that. That's amazing. Uh, I think probably if I had to pick one of the names and faces, it would be, I'm so thankful because of how it happened. Like I said, everything just fell into place of meeting who now my friend Adam F. Goldberg is, who created a show that everybody loves, including myself. Uh, But we connected on a different reason. And then I ended up, he was on my list and it was literally the timing. Like I was going to cold call his office on a Monday and they got in touch with me on a Thursday about something else. So it was just absolutely another thing of serendipity. And we connected on that. He jumped on board and was so enthusiastic and supportive and helped out in a great many ways. Uh, the best thing was just sitting down and talking about his experience of how Monster Squad influenced someone who we know as this gigantic you know, showrunner and writer and creator of TV shows and other great things. That's something that's certainly cool. And we got to shoot it on the set. We got to shoot our doc on his set because that was his request. 
Nice. Yeah. His, uh, the moments for him with him were very uh, affecting, but I got to say, I also really liked that little girl you met in London who wanted to be an eighties girl. And her mom was actually pushing her in the opposite direction. I figured, Oh, this, uh, this young girl's got a, a mom, an eighties mom. And she's been, been uh, cramming that down her throat, but no, she's, she's been told by her mom to be a modern girl, but she likes being an eighties girl. That was, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> and, and that's something, like I said, you don't know that that's going to happen. You know, you're not putting that on your outline six months ahead. You're not even putting it on your, you know, checkoff list for the day when you wake up at breakfast in a London hotel trying to go to a screening that's been set up with your crew. Uh, and that was all a thing that, that was another thing with, that, with her that, uh, you know, tied in with all the other stuff that wrapped up the story. And they came, they didn't live around the corner. They lived a little bit out of town and, <laughs> and took some time to get in. And she was so excited to see the movie and meet, you know, Sean and Rudy. And because uh, Ryan was with me on that. And the UK 15 rating still is in effect 30 so years wild. later. And she can't come in and see the movie. And I was like, oh, no, no, we're not standing for that. She's coming in with me. Like she can be my guest. And, you know, Paul, uh, Paul at the Prince Charles was like, no, I can't like they can shut it. Like I, we can't do that. We have, we have to follow that. I was like, can she sit in the booth? Like, can she watch it from the projector? And he's like, no, she can't even be in the room. And so we definitely made sure that she came in for the, you know, the, the Q and a and after, and, you know, maybe the, her experience in that, which I wish she had been able to see the movie with a crowd full of, cause she'd never seen it on a, on a movie screen before. And until like, I mean, maybe she can now, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she still can't. And uh, I wanted her to experience that. But I think maybe because that happened, that became a bigger and 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 kind of more memorable experience for her and her mom. Uh, so I'm okay with that. Such a big part of, of the Monster Squad experience is connecting with other people. And then also, you know, people's ability to connect with with you and you all. So, so how during the pandemic are you connecting with fans? I'm sure that you've uh, modified, uh, uh, you know, ways to, to to reach out to people. Are, you, is, are there bits, online screenings of the movie? Anything like that? Yeah, there, ha you know, there has been a lot of people do watch parties um, uh, and just kind of their own private thing. You know, you chime in like we're doing a Facebook chat and watching it together. And, you know, you try to chime in and that's been fascinating. Uh, and then social media is really kind of the, you know, leading the charge with everything, right? S supplemented by all the great technology like Zoom and, you know, StreamYard and, and, and Skype and all these great things that we can come together like Discord and Streamer and all these other things where groups can come together. You might not be able to sit in a movie theater together or have them in your backyard right now, but you can still get together and celebrate the things that you love. Uh, oh, and by the way, some other people might chime in that are pretty cool too. And I love being in person. I love going to events. I'd rather be at a screening with a, you know, a bunch of people. Look, and I just released a documentary. Uh, you know, I'd rather be, you know, touring this and, 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 and showing people in person uh, on the official release. Luckily, I got to do that last fall and did a, you know, a 20 something city Alamo tour again, just with a documentary to kind of follow up that that 30th anniversary tour. So I got a little of that in there, but I, I would have loved to do it during the release, but I'm glad we got to do that last October. Um, but connecting the fans, great. I, I try to be as responsive and, and on time, you know, on social media. Um, you know, sometimes you're just kind of drinking from a fire hose, but, you know, even if it's just a, you know, a like button or a heart or, 
you know, a quick TY to say thank you for them saying something. But if, if you have time to write some words and say, hey, I really appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoyed the documentary. I'm glad you're a Monster Squad fan. You know, stay in touch and, you know, let's, you know, hang out when the world starts turning. Hopefully that makes an impact to them. Was there ever a time kind of like Fred Decker where you didn't want to think about this movie when you were when you were younger? I don't think it was a time where I didn't want to be associated with it or didn't want to acknowledge that it existed. Um, just because, I mean, it didn't end. I don't know what it didn't make happen, but I also know it didn't end really anything for me. So it wasn't as destructive, uh, if, if that's the right you know, adjective, um, as it was for maybe something like Fred, you know, Fred also made another movie, you know, right after Monster Squad, which I think, you know, ended up being, you know, three movies in a row of a very young director. I mean, he made three big studio movies before he was like 27, 28 years old. That's amazing. That's a story in and of itself. And, you know, for me, I went right into Monster Squad, um, you know, coming off of television shows, did Monster Squad, went right into other television shows, and then a big network show in Fox for a couple seasons, and then, you know, continued. So it didn't really stop anything for me now if it was a giant hit it might have changed you know other things but I don't it didn't put the brakes on anything you know that was detrimental and I always loved the experience and what the movie was and even from 1987 I knew there was people out there that liked it knew it and loved it and you would see them every once in a while or you would talk about it and then of course you were there making it so it was such a cool experience as a kid to get to do something that grand and of that scale um, that, you know, I, I think you have to at least celebrate it and say that was something awesome in my life, even if it never made anything happen. Um, and it's a shame that it kind of dudded out. And then, boy, if you do that and you wait 19, 20 years and it just explodes again, that's a whole other experience. So it was never a time where I didn't want to be associated with it. It was just sort of a thing that happened. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something you did. And it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the wind and the sails, you know, going forward years later. And then I kind of took a break from the business, you know, for a number of years when I went to college. And so it was sort of just right after that. So, you know, I don't, I don't see it as a negative. I really don't uh, just from my experience. Um, and I'm the only one that can have that experience, just like everybody else's stories, their, their own personal thing. Um, but I always enjoyed the experience and the knowledge and and the, and the memories from it. Uh, my last question, was this always the, was from the very beginning, the title going to be Wolfman's Got Nards? Is there any other title you could have gone with? You know, there was, uh, there, it was always the first idea, right? It just, because there really isn't any other first, you know, thought that, that's better. Uh, once we had that down on paper, uh, you know, you know, when you're making a movie, you got to make sure you clear your title and can use it and it's available or, you know, whatever, it's not a legal issue. And, you know, you write down three, four, maybe five alternates. And we toyed with the squad doc, uh, you know, if, if we, as an alternate, uh, you know, we, and some other things that were different lines of dialogue or situations, but they were a little bit, you know, deeper cuts or, uh, you know, one of, you know, a couple of them were Sean Crinch, like my lines in the movie. I was like, I don't want to, that's, that's too making it seems like about me. Mm. And that's not what this is. And Wolfband's got Nards is, no doubt the most memorable line from this movie and you know means so much to so many people and also when you just read it you know one of our things with henry mccomas and i were like hey when this is in festivals and someone's going down a list of programming and it says wolfman's got nards if they don't know monster squad they're still going to look at the the summary of what this documentary is about just because it's so eye-catching but what it really does is with the fan base again that they know exactly what it is 
they cheer, they smile, they celebrate, and they're like, there is no other title. <laughs> so we made the right choice. That line, do you know where it came from? Is that a, is that a Shane Black line? Is that a, is that a Fred Decker line? If I recall correctly of old conversations, uh, I think it is a, a Shane line. And so maybe Nards is like a, maybe it was like a, na- a Pittsburgh neighborhood thing of him growing up, but it's Shane Black. You never know where it comes from. And if you, you go back into all his movies, there's something in there that you're like, what is that? And for Monster Squad, it was Nards. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Movie Maker. Check us out at moviemaker.com where we post stories pretty much every day about movies and movie making and movie makers. Subscribe to Movie Maker's print magazine. Every time a new issue comes out, I find myself waiting by that mailbox. It takes a day or two, but once it gets there, I am just overjoyed. I bring that issue inside and I read it cover to cover. It's a great magazine. Let's just say that. Good resource if you're someone interested in the art and craft of making movies. It really is a wonderful magazine. Follow us on social media at Movie Maker Mag. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And say a nice thing or two about us while you're there, would you? We will be back soon with another episode of Movie Maker, and I hope you'll be there to join us. Until then, take care of yourselves. <laughs>